A solid one. I need an introduction to the architect. I'm going to make a documentary about this place. That young man, Monroe, you know, the one who died last night, he'll make a good starting point. I mean, doesn't it seem odd, Lang, that a man can fall from the 39th floor and not one police car turn up? Where's the investigation, Lang? I mean, where's the sirens? Lang! This episode of the podcast Under the Stairs is brought to you in conjunction with Legion Podcast Network. Check out the podcast Under the Stairs and many other shows over at legionpodcast.com. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode number 82. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. Now episode number 82 is one that once again was kind of done on the spur of the moment. Uh, not a great deal of planning involved in this one. But the, the kind of thought process behind this was that the Cronenberg Roundtable has been delayed to the end of the month. So just to pick some movies that I've either always wanted to review or ones that my guests have really wanted to review and bring these people on and talk about them. So later on in this show I'll be joined by the fantastic... Bo Ransdell from the Schadenfreude Gaming Network podcast thing, um, the Shodcast, quite quite like that. Um, it kind of makes me think of Shoddycast, um, and I don't know if Shoddy means the same thing in America as it does over here, but if something's built shoddily, it means that it's it, it's not done very well. And if you listen to their show, that doesn't accurately describe how good their show is. Their show's fantastic. So if you like your video games, as they call them over in the States, then you should certainly, certainly check out the, the Shodcast, which is um, a Legion podcast exclusive. So Legion Podcast Network, always plug in that network. But yes, yeah, so here we joining me and we're looking at uh, two rather interesting examples of, of uh, horror and fringe horror sci-fi it's set in tower blocks. Um, one is a smaller affair in 1977's The Sentinel, directed by Michael Winner. He of, um, if you're over in this country, did a series of, I think it was insurance <laughs> advertisements, where he was like, calm down, dear, it's only a commercial. Shut up, Michael Winner. Um, but he also did the Death Wish movies, which are incredible. I love, I love me some Death Wish. So, um, yeah, so we're going to be discussing The Sentinel and the new Ben Wheatley. Oh, my God. Ah, oh, copious amounts of semen everywhere. Um, I love Ben Wheatley. Ben Wheatley is legitimately one of my favourite directors, and yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun doing uh, some Ben Wheatley with Bob while we discuss his new movie from 2016, High Rise. Now I saw it at the Scottish premiere. It's just been released in the States. I had a small cinematic run in the UK. But um, it's making its way to Blu-ray, I think. It's either made its way in the States or it's about to. And it, the same is going to happen over here in July. So I've got that shit pre-ordered, as you can imagine. So yeah, so we're going to be discussing two of those movies. Now, The Sentinel, I'm really looking forward to discuss because it is basically like Rosemary's Baby meets Filch's The Beyond. 
directed by the guy that did Death Wish. I mean, if that just doesn't have you with an erection right now, or moistened in the pants area, then I don't know what I don't know what it takes to do that. But yeah, so we're very much looking forward to discussing those. But there's a couple of things I need to say. I'm actually live streaming this just now direct to our Facebook group page. Um, there are some people checking me out. None of them have told me they've thrown up yet, which is a good sign. Good sign. Thank you, people. Thank you. Um, yeah. So no one has told me that yet. I, I, I'm fairly sure they're just being kind. Um, our good buddy Myron, uh, one of our listeners, had told me to keep my uh, top on, which I am. Can't guarantee that the bottoms are on at all, and I am not standing up, so you can see it. Uh, we have a message in while we're recording this from my, uh, oh my good buddy the Baz, and he says your patter is fucking shite when I'm not on the. And I, I think he meant to say show, but he's typed H-S-O-W. So, yes, my pattern might be shite, but my spelling's pretty good, so... Fuck you, Baz. Um, so, <laughs> uh, war, war on the show. Uh, so, yeah, um, we're live-streaming this to Facebook. This is something we're going to be doing a lot more of. Um, and we're going to be doing live competitions on Facebook uh, because they allow us to do it now, which is fantastic. It's a great way to interact with you guys, the listeners out there. And, yeah, so there's going to be tons of stuff. Yeah, Baz, if you edit it, it's still there in the first place, so I don't care. I saw it, other people saw it, and it shows that you've edited it. So, more fool you, sir. More fool you. Um, yeah, Baz and me are going to be doing a, a, a recording in the next week where we cover the final part of the Halloween um, show that we're doing, which is Halloween's parts 4, 5, and 6. And as well as that, we're going to be sounding off on a guy from Twitter who, um, the word prick springs to mind. <laughs> He's like, prick. Um, so yeah, so we're going to be we're going to be discussing that. Now, I will probably be good cop in that recording. Baz most likely will be bad cop, slutty bad cop Baz with his arseless chaps. That will make more sense when you listen to the show. So uh, yeah, so I'm going to be discussing the Sentinel and High Rise on this show. Yes, can't wait. Bo will be coming up real soon. But yeah, if you want to check out any of these live videos we'll be doing for the shows, and if you want to not only check out the live videos, but also partake in some competitions that we'll be doing directly on here, uh, I think maybe there is a potential for a signed poster to be one of the prizes coming up, signed by myself and the sexy, sexy Baz. Uh, everyone loves the Baz. Um, so yeah, we'll be signing that. And there are Blu-rays to give away and DVDs and other such nonsense. So tons of things will be given away on the show, live on these videos, and we'll let you know so you can keep an eye on what is going on. So yeah, I think I have waffled on a, long, uh, a lot longer than I expected. If you want to um, follow these videos, you need to join the Facebook group page. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast. And uh, all the other social media stuff will be coming at the end. Most of it is run by Baz. If Baz asks you to send a naked photo in, don't do it. Because I can't, I can't guarantee that he is not touching himself when he's looking at your picture. Unless that's what you want. If you want to give Baz uh, a happy erection, then by all means send him in. So yeah, here we go. I am going to uh, leave you now. Uh, this has been fantastic. I hope you've enjoyed it. Hopefully... 
uh, somewhere down the line we'll get me and Baz another one of his kitchen recordings and we'll maybe do like a full half an hour or something directly on this that would be quite a lot of fun but I just want to say once again thank you very much for all the support for bringing the, the numbers up on the, the, the old uh, Facebook page to a staggering 300 now that is incredible uh, something I'm immensely proud of and thank you very much for that. This uh, has run a bit longer, but it's because there's a video. If you want to check out this video after the recording, go across to our Facebook group page. But I'm going to take a very short break just now. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love, including Mr. Johnny Krug. Um, yeah, if I could go gay for one man, I'd maybe Johnny Krug. And I think he knows that, and that's why he leads me on. He teases me. Sexy, sexy Johnny Krug. Um, but yeah, so Johnny Krug's promo is going to play some other promos. Check out the shows on Legion Podcast Network. I'm going to be joined coming up after this break with the incomparable Bo Ranstall. Thank you very much, and I'll be right back right after this. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities. Then you've got the wrong f***ing show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. Most effective, Your Majesty. Will you destroy this Earth? Destroy it. Send Rick and Danny in Wool Rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail, Hail Ming. Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the Visua screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud 2? Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? What's a critter? Oh, I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Hell-Ming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Helming. Breaking two? Electric boogaloo? Samurai cop? Army of darkness? Flash dance? <laughs> <laughs> we might destroy the planet if it's flash dance. <laughs> And welcome back. So, uh, yeah, if you got a chance to check out that live video in the previous segment, um, that's fantastic. Hopefully you'll come across our Facebook group page. For those that um, didn't realise how sexy I was on camera, I apologise. 
Um, and if you have uh, if you have accidentally spunked in your pants um, or came so hard that you're blind in one eye now, I can only apologise. I didn't know. I didn't know it would have that effect. Um, I'm dehydrated. <laughs> you know what the worst thing about it is? The baz, the filthy bastard. He couldn't let me have my moment of sincerity with the show. He had to post a video right after it. Call me a liar. Son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. Well... You know, your relationship with the Baz is is complicated. <laughs> yeah, well, you know you've been on a recording, so. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, everyone's a winner. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Except me. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I, I should introduce you just now because you've already talked. So. Yeah, sorry. This show's a shambles. Um, <laughs> you've ruined it, Ramsdale. Um so yeah, uh, on this show, like I said just before the break, we're going to be covering two movies. We're going to be doing The Sentinel from 1977 and High Rise from 2016. And joining me on the show is uh, one of the creative minds behind the Shodcast. He's one half of the the incredibly sexy duo of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. And that is not said with any bias at all. That's said with cold hard facts. Um, yep, science. <laughs> science. He also has started a show recently in the last month called Hero Hero Ghost Show, which looks exclusively at Asian horror cinema. He is the showrunner over at Legion Podcast Network, as well as uh, a rather, rather interesting author, if I can say that, and had a movie that came out last year called Lost After Dark. I like to call him my friend, Mr. Bo Ransdell. How are you doing, sir? I am doing well. You know, when you when you put all those things together, it sounds like I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> are you not? I you are. no. I spend most of my time, you know, in the Al Bundy pose on the couch. <laughs> I like your style, sir. It's a good place yeah. to be in. Uh, but no, I appreciate it, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it is always fun to to join you on this show because I have almost no responsibilities, and that feels wonderful. Yeah, because you do all the the recording and editing for our other show, um, which I am tremendously grateful that you do that because that's just one less thing I have to do. So I quite like yeah. that. Plus, I can edit in such a way that I sound smarter. You you do edit it quite heavily to make me sound dumb. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, I have been noticing that. I'm like, oh, here, this bit coming up here is when I, I make that really coherent, interesting fact that Bo says, oh, Duncan, that's incredible. Where did it come from? And it never makes a show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, I, I want to keep... It, consistency is important for any show, right? <laughs> so I want to make sure that, you know, the roles on the show are clearly defined. Yes. Uh, so that I come across as well-learned and erudite. <laughs> and then you come across as like a rhesus monkey that has learned to speak. <laughs> Speaking of monkeys, uh, I found you there. Yes. <laughs> I know you do like monkeys. Uh, but I found that you posted a couple of days ago um, almost a response to uh, Bazzi's comment on the, the, the first Halloween show we did where he used the phrase... Uh, <laughs> softly, softly, catchy monkey, um, and yeah, I didn't realise that's where it came from at all. I just assumed it was a sort of seedy thing that the Baz gets up to the weekend. Right. It sounded like a Bazism, um, so I was getting ready to add it to my Bazmanac, um, and then I read it. I was like, oh no, this actually comes. This has a lineage. This is quite interesting. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm once again. Grateful for you to point these things out to me, and sorry that Baz 
invaded your brain. You don't want that man up there for, for any length of time because the damage he can wrought is, is ridiculous. I know, I feel like Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs and, <laughs> and the, ba the Baz is my Hannibal Lecter. So I'm just like, you know. You come in here with your cheap shoes, Rans, though. <laughs> the Baz, tell me about Softly, Softly, Cheeky Monkey. <laughs> Catchy monkey. I want to say cheeky monkey. Softly, you can just softly, cha cheeky monkey. Change it to your own one. You can you can yeah. have cheeky monkey. Um, so yeah, so th there's there are uh, a ton of projects that you're involved in just now. But the one that I want to focus on is the brand new show that you launched uh, within the last month and a half. Hero Hero Ghost Show. I had the privilege and pleasure of guesting on the very first episode, the Maiden episode, uh, where we looked at a, a little a little movie called Audition, which yeah, once again. I mean, I almost filed for divorce right after it. Every time I watch that movie, I don't feel secure around women. Um, but it was divorce a pleasure. Sugar, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a pleasure being on that show. But for those that might not have checked it out yet, and I don't know why, um, could you give the listeners out there a little bit of info on the show, basically where it's coming from and what you do um, every two weeks on it? Yeah, it's a weekly. Not every two weeks, it's, it's every week. Is it weekly? I thought it was every yeah. two weeks. No, no, no. We uh, Since we started, we've been dropping a new episode every Tuesday. And uh, and I get out of the way of Podcast Under the Stairs, which drops on Monday. So, you know, in, in my mind, the listeners get a nice one-two punch. I like that. Uh, I like that. Of, of Podcast Under the Stairs. And Hero Hero Go Show, it, it, it stems from my love of um, Asian horror cinema. Uh, which I do love. I, I, I think there's something unique and fascinating about uh, about films from, you know, South Korea and Japan and China and Hong Kong, which technically the same thing, but different different sensibilities, um, uh, as well as Thailand. There's some Thailand in there. And uh, uh, but at any rate, uh, it stems from that. And um, to be honest, I was always a fan of those films, but I, n I never felt like I had a grasp of uh, sort of the cultural understanding of those films. And a lot of Hero Hero Go Show is, you know, there's a fair amount of silliness as we talk about some of the, the storylines of these films, which can be, um, you know, Tokyo Gore Police has a silly story. Uh, but it, it, you know, we try to kind of dig a little bit deeper and, and provide um, some, you know, uh, cultural context for these films or maybe even just tidbits of history here and there. Uh, or on audition, for example, we we talked about uh, various interpretations of that film. So, you know, the idea is that you come away both uh, sort of celebrating uh, these movies that you you might either love or not know about, or just uh, you know find a little bit uh, dense when you try to approach them yourselves, and that um, that you come away from a, a an episode of that show with a little more knowledge and, and, and maybe a little more enthusiasm about uh, some movies that um, you don't necessarily see talked about a bunch. Uh -huh. and, um, so yeah, the, the next episode uh, after this drops uh, will be phone uh, with, with Ricky Morgan and we've done, uh, you know, audition and, and thank you again for, for being there for the, the first episode. And we've done uh, Tokyo Gore police and we've done Juan and we got some good feedback on that because we we told the story of Juan chronologically. Ah, good stuff. Which is not how the film is presented. So the chronological summary, I think, may help make some sense of a movie that doesn't necessarily bother to make sense of itself. <laughs> yeah. um, 
<laughs> but uh, and then you know, upcoming we're going to be doing uh, Dream Home, which is uh, a film from Hong Kong that's tremendous. It's a great movie. Yeah, and uh, and Zena Dixon from Girls Will Be Ghouls is joining me on that one, and uh, and then coming up we've got you know all kinds of weird and wild stuff, uh, and and you'll be back to do uh, to do another episode as well. And I can't remember which one off the top of my head. I think uh, Coroneco is is yeah Coroneco. I think I think maybe I, I threw about twenty titles at you though, so. Um... Yeah, but you're doing that season by season, which will be good fun as well. So, um, yeah, I dare say I may appear appear on different seasons as well, which would be quite cool. That's a that's a fascinating, um, that's a fascinating area of horror, um, as as Asian horror, because, like I say, the reason I think it's so effective and can get so under the skin of Western audiences is. It just comes from a completely different point of view. Their ghost stories are different to our ghost stories, and I think that's uh, it becomes slightly more unsettling. It's the same way that that kind of the American slasher movies had such a huge impact over there in the eighties. It was just like the Japanese had never seen anything like that before because they tend not to have serial killers over there as well. So the idea of someone, you know, marauding <laughs> through 10 films killing people is a, is a novelty to them. So yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic show. I can't speak highly of it enough. I think it's, uh, it's one of those ones that it fills a gap that you did not know that you had in your podcast library. Um, so yeah, that's, that is pretty awesome. But sir, we are here to discuss two movies. One of which um, I've been wanting to discuss for, for, for quite a while actually. The Sentinel is one that always comes up on lists and it's always in the back of my head and I never for some reason I've never discussed it on the show and I keep confusing myself as to why these things happen because I pick the movies for the show so I don't know another one is Ben Wheatley and it felt right to have you on this one because you are probably the second person on the planet who has the same ridiculous amount of geeky love for Ben Wheatley you're probably right behind me I, I stayed clean first and then Ransdell was right behind me. Um, and yeah, and I'm one of the I'm one of those jerks that uh, likes a field in England more than Kill List. You are, but she's just not right, Bo. But I love you for it. I love you. I love you, Bo. They're both good. They're both great. But yeah. uh, not just good. They're great. I love them both. <laughs> but field in England, you know. I, and I've said this before. If you've ever listened to a show where Duncan and I have discussed this movie, there is a scene in that movie that will haunt me to my grave. Yeah, and, it's terrifying. Uh, yeah, and I, I just think it's wonderful, and um, and I would I would venture to say that High Rise has more in common uh, with the DNA of a field in England yep. than it does Kill List. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's going to be an interesting discussion, but we have a movie to discuss first from 1977, directed by a little guy called Michael Winner, who put out this movie called Death Wish. You may have seen it. Um, so, and two and three. The yeah. guy didn't stop at one. Yeah. Oh, no, he just kept going. Uh, it's, it's great when, when they discuss him in Electric Boogaloo, the canon story, um, about how he just did not give a fuck. He just did not. Like, let's just ramp this up. Is there any way I can offend an entire, entire ethnic... It, oh, I can't even say that word. Ethnicities in this uh, in this this movie. If so, let's do it. Um, and that's Michael Winner, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to discuss. 
probably, I think this is his only horror movie uh, against his credits. He didn't do many movies, but um, I think this is the only one that falls into the clear category of horror. And it's The Sentinel from 1977. We're going to take a short break. You're going to hear promos for shows on the Legion Podcast Network. You're going to hear the trailer for the movie when myself and Bo return. We're going to be discussing that movie right after this. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. It's one of the nicer tree line blocks in New York, and only 20 minutes from the center of town. Oh, and just around the corner, there's a supermarket and the cleaners. That's Father Harron in 5A. He's blind. Blind? Well, then what does he look at? There is danger everywhere. There is evil, evil everywhere. Turn around, Allison. Look behind you. There is horror. There is darkness. I think Allison may die. But watching, waiting, warding off evil, there is hope. The Sentinel. Before Howard, there was Father David Spinetti. Before him, Mary Thorin becomes Sister Mary Angelica. Father Matthew Halloran dies the same day that Allison Parker disappears and becomes Sister Teresa. I call thee! I horror and confusion expedite our glory! Is the Sentinel the only thing that stands between the mortal world and the torment of hell? Between happiness and horror. She went to a party with eight dead murderers. Eli Wallach. Doesn't everybody? Have a hat and noisemaker. Sylvia Miles. Nobody has lived in that building for three years. Ava Gardner. Martin Balsam. Jose Ferrer. Arthur Kennedy. There is danger. I swear to God, I'll kill you! Chris Sarandon. I'll kill you! <laughs> Burgess Meredith. Welcome home. 
Christina Reigns, The Sentinel, the most frightening motion picture experience of your life, and the most revealing. Turn around. Look behind you. Be one with us. No! There is evil everywhere, and The Sentinel is the only hope. The Sentinel. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for our first movie. This is The Sentinel from 1977. It's a horror movie directed by Michael Winner. The movie stars, oh my God, Chris Sarandon, Christina Raines, Martin Balsam, John Carradine, Jose Ferreira, Ava Gardner, Arthur Kennedy, Burgess Meredith, Deborah Raffin, other folks, Christopher Walken actually, I can't, you need to make that, oh, the Christopher Walken, ah, it's you watch, it's your father's watch, it's your watch, Carrot is watching my ass for five years. I'm um, just gonna chew gum in this movie if it's alright with you. Yeah, I was like, get, at least get him to dance or something, this guy's amazing, and I, I was, every actor is in this movie, even, even, uh, what's his face, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Like makes an appearance, and he's not talking about chaos theory or creepily laughing or turning it a fly. That that feels like a missed opportunity. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, you're right. Goldblum is always a treasure in a film. You know, faster would be better is great because Goldblum says it. And <laughs> uh, or, wait, was that Nathan Fillion? I may be confusing. You, you, uh, faster would be Jurassic better. Jurassic Park is, with Serenity. No, no, no. You're, you're like faster would be better is Nathan yeah, Nathan Fillion, but must go faster as Jeff Goldblum. Must go faster. That's what it is. Uh, two icons of cinema, Duncan. I agreed. Um, but uh, but yeah, and his voice doesn't sound like Goldblum. It sounds a little bit like him, but I won't, I don't know for sure. And I, I I didn't look this up specifically to my discredit. But I don't know if they overdubbed his voice or if Winner said, like, you know, Jeff Goldblum, you sound like a weirdo. Can you deepen your voice and try not to sound like Jeff Goldblum? And, yeah, it's it's a bummer because, you know, he's the, the photographer in the movie and you want him to, you know, be like, uh, uh, a little closer maybe? Ah, uh, you're out of focus. Um, but none of that ever happens and it's a real bummer. <laughs> it does. It's, it's strange. This is a weird – this is – for a movie like this, there is an insane cast in here, and I, I can yes. only think that maybe someone thought this was going to be the next Rosemary's Baby, and we're just like, we need to have, every, everyone needs to be in this movie. Either that, or people wanted sports cars that year, I don't know, or something they could write off as a tax <laughs> return. I have no idea. It seems strange. Or Michael Winner had, like, had something over the top of all of them. You know, like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, on paper... This sounds like an incredible movie. Mm -hmm. You know, just looking at the cast list, you're like, Christopher Walken and Jeff Goldblum in the same movie. First of all, you got me. And then you throw Chris Sarandon. Yeah. John Carradine. John Carradine and Jose Ferrer, who was an Oscar winner for Cyrano de Bergerac. And I mean, like the the cast is amazing. And there's an, well, not uncredited, but at the end of the movie, who should show up but Tom Berenger? I know that is insane. Yeah, and I mean, it is all of these actors in 1977. I and I, I can't remember if this is pre or post Deer Hunter. It's got to be pre. I think so. Yeah. I think yeah, because Walken is in it about eight minutes more than I am, <laughs> and and only has a couple of lines, and it's yeah. a real bummer that 
uh, I, sorry for repeating the use of the word bummer, but I have a feeling it's going to come up again. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, the cast is amazing with maybe the exception of the lead. Yeah. And yeah, there, this is a movie that, and I think you're right. I, th- I, I, I have to believe that the studio thought this was going to be the next Rosemary's baby. Cause it has all of those elements, you know, it's, you know, spooky building. We have a female character in the in the central role. Um, you, you surround the cast with all these great character actors. Um, you know, it's very New York based. It's contemporary. Um, you know, it, it deals with, you know, spoilers. Hell. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I mean, it's got to be that had to be the thinking it is this is going to be our next big you know, for real serious, no fooling. This isn't some B movie. This is a triple A horror movie with good actors. Yeah. And, and, then, and, and then Michael Winner directed it. Yeah. And then <laughs> the Sentinel happens and you're like, the, the hell happened? I, I, I will struggle to believe and we'll never be able to ask Filchie because he's one, I don't think he would have spoken to me. Two, my Italian is a bit rusty. And three, you know, he's no longer with us. Um, but there must have been some sort of influence on on the beyond from this movie there's just too many elements that feel like the beyond you know the house which is basically some sort of weird portal to hell um the fact that characters are blinded uh, with those contact you know there's just a couple of elements and obviously italian um horror cinema specifically had a, a penchant for stealing american ideas and then Increasing the crazy, turning the crazy up to eleven. Um, so yeah, there, there's a weird sort of feeling that potentially Fulci may have, or Fulci's scriptwriter may have seen this movie and adapted some of the elements in the three or four years in between the two movies, for for sure. But yeah, so um, synopsis for the movie. Long way to get to the synopsis, but the synopsis for this movie, as listed on IMDb, is not ready for marriage. A fashion model moves into an unbelievably nice Brooklyn Heights apartment where scary occurrences turn into a more frightening turn of events uh, which keeps it fairly aloof with detail which is good because yeah you don't want it you, you wouldn't really want to spoil this fully in terms of you know so it's, there are a couple of twists in the plot that are really quite interesting because the film sets up a premise where you think you know where things are going and then you realise that no it's crazier than that um, and then the last 10 minutes are just out and out terrifying uh, <laughs> just where the fuck is everyone coming from but yeah, um, yeah so th- this is a movie that I saw I remember The Sentinel from a while back like I'm not saying like to, to my youth but I remember must easily pre-2000 I saw this movie and I remember not liking it when I first saw it and I think it was because I wasn't fully au fait with movies that, that burn at a slower pace and this movie certainly does I mean it gives you a couple of bits and bobs here but for the most part this movie rests on the last 15-20 minutes um, and I, I didn't particularly like that and I remember thinking the acting was a bit ropey then and I can only assume from watching it much later on in life that it was probably the lead that I I just couldn't gravitate to at all. But I've I've grown to really enjoy this movie, um, faults and warts and all. I, I think it, it it does quite an interesting. I remember I remember reading that there was a lot of controversy about this movie and the fact that um, winner used people with deformities in the end of the movie. 
and apparently that was deemed as being cruel, which I think is insane. Because um, I don't think they were... I would imagine they were paid. Um, you know, so... I, it seems like... Yeah, it'd, it'd be like trying to condemn every movie maker in the 1970s for doing something which is remotely exploitative. Um, and on some degree, and some level as well, making films is exploitation. You're exploiting people's abilities to put forward a narrative. Um it probably saved them multiple thousands in special effects and prosthetics and the authenticity of it really does add to that creepy nature at the end but I'm jumping ahead of myself um, but, <laughs> but when, when, yeah. did, when did you see this is this one that you came to later on or did you see it about the time it came out or no I saw this in my probably my 20s mm-hmm. um, at first and it you know it was one of those where I, I was trying to fill in some some gaps of, of horror films uh, which I'm still trying to do, quite frankly. But um, this was one that I'd always heard, like, you've got the last 10 minutes or the payoff, mm-hmm. you know? And so by the time I'd seen it, I kind of knew what the last 10 minutes were. I hadn't seen it, but I I knew it. Um, and then later, when we talk about High Rise, I'm going to say something even dumber um, <laughs> in comparing it to a film. But, uh, yeah, so... You know, my first experience with with it is kind of the experience I always have when I watch The Sentinel, which doesn't happen that often. You know, I've probably mm-hmm. seen it. This Watching it for this show was probably the fourth time I've seen The Sentinel, which is maybe three times too many. <laughs> <laughs> because I would wager that the end is on YouTube and that's really all you need to see. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it. And but the, the initial impression I had was... Um, this is a long tail on a kite that leads to, you know, the, the final few moments. And those are truly effective. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're just going to have to navigate some dodgy acting and some pretty, like the movie jumps all over the place and, and there's a storyline involving, uh, the detectives uh, played by Eli Wallach and Christopher Walken. I mean, again, what an incredible pairing. Yeah. Uh, but and at the end of the day, nothing really comes of that. Um, it, it, it's it's a frustrating experience to watch this movie, I find. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. that. There does feel like there, there was the idea of <clears throat> this kind of portal to hell house sort of thing going on in the style of a Rosemary's Baby and then other 70s kind of tropes from other movies were kind of tagged in and as a feeling you know I feel watching it myself that I'm like so where are we now what's happening now alright we're back to filming this this it's either a movie or a commercial they're doing and now what we're doing we're right, oh we're with the cops right but these cops are why are they there and what are they investigating and Right, we're not with them anymore. All right, we're back at the house. So yeah, essentially the 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 synopsis for the movie, the kind of greater synopsis for the movie, and we are spoiling this. And if you've not seen the Sentinel, you should check it out. You should definitely check it out. Um, Every horror fan should watch it once. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, so we have our our main our main character. Uh, she is. Uh, They've, they've put here, they're, I think they're putting too much emphasis on the not ready for marriage um, in, the old, uh, in the old synopsis on IMDb. She, she basically admits she wants independence, she wants to move into her own apartment. She 
Straight away she should have known something was wrong when she got the ridiculous deal on this pretty phenomenal apartment. And I know that um, some of our, our listeners were commenting, uh, Patrick from Scream Queens and um, Vanessa, long-time, uh, long-time listener Vanessa, were talking about how infuriating it is to watch about someone moan about the cost of our property in New York. They both live in New York, so they know how, how pricey it is over there. And I would imagine still as pricey. Um, back in the day for where she's living but um, she ends up in this rather beautiful um, apartment building and all the neighbours are a bit weird and that's something that's an understatement (laughs) I think really they're all a bit crazy Um, probably the most normal person is Burgess Meredith and you know when I'm saying that sentence things are up Um, and you know, uh, basically, she is getting kind of bouts of dizziness, and she's not particularly well. And she is in a relationship, but she doesn't really want to take that relationship to the marriage level, like it said in the synopsis. Um, and weird things are going on in her apartment building that she doesn't quite know. And meanwhile. Uh, there is someone up on the very top floor in a psycho-esque pose staring out the window constantly and um, there's this whole other subplot with the, the church and their mission to deter evil. It really is, when I think about it now, really, there is a, there's fucking loads in this movie. There's really, like, tons of yeah. subplots that, there's very few of them tied up actually now that I'm... Yeah, but I think you might make me hate this movie. Don't do that. Yeah, well, <laughs> let, me, let me take you a step further uh, towards uh, a, a depreciation of this movie is that this is one of the more anti-women's liberation films. <laughs> you know, unlike Rosemary's Baby, which, you know, Rosemary's Baby features of, you know, e- even though uh, Mia Farrow is very wayfish in the film and all yeah. that, at the end of the movie, she ends up making a decision ultimately for, the, you know, the good of her child, the, mm-hmm. the devil baby. Um, but that movie is very much about, like, you know, her role in her relationship and, and, and explores that in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is a movie about a woman who wants her independence and through a series of events loses all of that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she is, um, you know, sexually liberated, she is, you know, independent. All of that is ultimately dismissed. And she is then trapped in a nun's cloister. Yeah. Yeah at the end of the movie in a, a tiny room forever to not see or speak yeah. and just be this, you know, this guardian. <laughs> and it's, and, and the only other thing she does in the movie is pass out. <laughs> yeah. She's maybe not. She's, uh, yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's difficult I mean, to argue that actually. Yeah. I mean, she is at, at on, at, when the movie begins, it's like, oh, she's, you know, she's a model. She's, she's making her way. And I mean, you can argue the merits of modeling as a profession or whatnot, but she's, she's an independent woman. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, all that is stripped from her. It, it is, it is a very, I think, um, uh, sort of old school yeah. male view of a woman, uh, or, or it's almost like we want to take this woman and just trap her somewhere so she can't get out and talk about you know, like wanting to be on her own. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I find that to be really interesting, especially given the time that the it came out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of almost in the, it's very much against the grain of what, maybe that's why Winner did it. 
Uh, right. Let, let's be different and go and turn the the clock back to you know the 1950s. Yeah. All you have to do is look at some of those later Death Wish movies, and no one is really portrayed well at all, unless you're Chuck Bronson. Um, yeah. Chuck <laughs> Bronson. Chuck Bronson, by the way, is my favorite uh, meat. <laughs> Where it's seared on one side and then spiced yeah. on the it, other. Yeah. I know oh yeah. Right. If you yeah. get a nice Chuck Bronson steak, you are. Oh, you're in for a treat. Your like taste buds are. Yeah, it's my, my, my favorite. My, my, my favorite version is the Chuck Bonson po' boy. Um, <laughs> little little red cabbage slaw in there. Oh, oh sure, sure. Mm, uh, I'm hungry now, Bo. I am hungry to discuss the Sentinels. So uh, <laughs> it's all right. But the, here's another thing that I find um, fascinating about the movie, if not good, mm-hmm. is that the movie is ambitious. Oh, it's hugely it's ambitious beyond its its, uh, its budget by quite a bit. And uh, Dick Smith, uh, famous makeup artist Dick Smith, mm-hmm. uh, is doing some work on this film as well. Um, it boasts a very young Beverly D'Angelo in the altogether, mm-hmm. um, and that's not bad. Um, yeah, it's it's weird. Like uh, when she, when she first moves in, and you're yeah, you're right. Like the fact that when she first moves in, and and the realtor. Is like, oh, this is five hundred dollars a month furnished. And she's like, that seems expensive. Four four hundred dollars. What did you hear? I didn't yeah. say five hundred. Four hundred. <laughs> what are you stupid? And and so the one thing I it's never made clear in the movie, but I guess she's kind of in on it. Yeah, but I don't know what side she's on. Right. You know you what never, I mean? But, yeah. Because she's. Right, you can look at it from one of two ways. She's either bringing someone in as a replacement for the Sentinel in the top floor, or she's bringing in another soul to be consumed by the building. And and the movie never makes an effort to explain anything. And my my kind of gut instinct is that she is working for the side of evil. And the reason I say that is she tells her not to go near the top floor. Don't pay any attention to that guy. No, no, there's nothing you need to see up there. Which is the sort of thing the evil side would want to do. Um, you know, the... the, the right. The, That's just what a devil realtor would say. Yeah, well, you just... <laughs> That's what they... Do. Essentially, that's what they do in, in the, like, uh, House by the Cemetery. They're like, you don't need to see in the basement. Why do you want to go in the basement? Don't go in the basement. Keep the basement shut. Don't have a key. I don't have a key. Right. Have you ever <laughs> seen the movie Don't Go in the Basement? That. <laughs> do that in this movie. So yeah, I, I, I get the feeling that she's working on that kind of the, the side of evil, but the movie—I uh, don't know if it's a conscientious decision or or whatnot. But she she on some level kind of bookends the story. It's very much the it's like in Hellraiser with a box, and then that open city. You know, what is your pleasure? You know, <laughs> the guy and the, the that was a terribly terribly racist impression i apologize but that's what he says when he pushes yeah. the box over and then you get the same at the very end when it all loops back in and we're we're bookending this to the next couple that are being moved in but are they essentially going to be the next sentinel replacement or or, or what's going to happen but she through a series of events in the building and we're going to gloss over a lot of those events but a series of events in the the building and kind of her mental health very much like Mia Farrow's character and Rosemary's baby starts, she goes under a lot of psychological stress living there, and eventually uh, we find out that the the gentleman who stays in the the top floor, this blind old man, is what is known as a sentinel, and a sentinel is a, a kind of church 
lighthouse, basically. If, you know, to, to, to ward away the evil spirits. Um, but yeah, apparently, kind of the living talisman. Yeah, yeah. To, so, keep, to keep souls in hell from spilling out. Yeah, and this building happens to be on one of those points where he's on a hell gate. There you go. The hell mouth, the, the buffy hell mouth. Yeah, that buffy yeah. hell mouth. Um, and the... Essentially, she has been brought in and both sides are attempting to woo her to their cause. If you die in the building, if you commit suicide, which is what these... Basically, everyone in this apartment that she's living with are all demon spawn. And what they want her to do is they want to drive her mad so she will kill herself and thus be condemned to hell and live in the house for all eternity. Um, Well, my... Actually, my take on it's different than yours. Oh, right. My take on it is without the Sentinel, then these souls are just kind of free to wander. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, but not necessarily within the confines of the building. I, I mean, I, I my impression was like, well, they can spill out now. No, 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 that's, that's what I meant. I mean, I mean, but oh. if, you, if you die with the Sentinel in place, you're confined to the building. You can't leave the building. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, right. If the Sentinel is there, then the, the furthest you can go is, you know, the lobby. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they, they can't they can't leave beyond that point. And basically, anyone that's brought in, they're trying to make them, you know, they're basically trying to convert them into demons to the point that eventually the sentinel won't be replaced or die. Um, and when he dies, they can spill out. Um, yeah, and the I, church is making a deal with the person who could be the sentinel mm-hmm. by saying, like, because as we know, Duncan, there's one true God, and that's the Catholic God. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying anything controversial. Uh, that's just You're not offending two thirds of the world's population. Um, you know, they're, they'll come around. <laughs> they'll come around. <laughs> yeah, just show them the signal. They'll get it together. They've only but, had they've only had thousands of years, but you know they're getting there. Yeah, eventually. Like, I mean, come on, the Buddha. Let's come on. Um, <laughs> are, you, are you about to use the words "Have you heard the good news"? Because, Bo, I don't know if my listeners are ready for that. You know, I've got some literature. I'll leave it with them. <laughs> Copy of the Watchtower. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, so if you see a, a, a young gentleman in, in uh, a young gentleman, an old man like me in uh, black slacks and a white shirt pedaling up on a bicycle, you know you're in for a treat. Uh, but but so the Catholic Church has basically said, look, you're going to hell because you've tried to commit suicide. And then, like in the background of all the, the Sentinel characters, they have tried to commit suicide at some point, which if you're a Catholic, uh, which you should be, then you know that's a mortal sin, not venial. And mortal can, cannot be forgiven. No, it's that that a one-way ticket to the, the, the fire pit. Right. So she's going to hell, but if you become the Sentinel, they're like, hey, we're going to let you skate on that whole attempted suicide <laughs> rap and you become the sentinel and then when you die you can go to heaven yeah all, all you have to do is become a blind captive which seems like a fair trade yeah right well you know <laughs> your reward is in the afterlife duncan I, l- let me give you some literature um it'll explain everything <laughs> our earthly existence is just a, a grain of sand on the beach of our ultimate existence um yeah it's it, it's a real shitty deal it no matter which deal. way you yeah go. she's she's fucked <laughs> yeah and i i don't know if we're gonna circle around to this and and maybe i'm just gonna force the issue but we got to talk about the cat party <laughs> 
Let's do it then. You, okay. W- what would you like to discuss particularly about that? So, well, there when when um, Christine uh, Christina Reigns moves in, Allison Parker is her character's name. Allison moves in to um, Devil Building. <laughs> uh, you know, she meets all of her neighbors, and she's got. Beverly D'Angelo and the older lady uh, who are lesbians who live downstairs and Beverly D'Angelo rubs herself off in front of her. Yes. um, In one of the weirder moments of the movie, for sure. And that's another like very conservative kind of view that this movie has is, well, they're lesbians. Of course they're in hell. Um, (laughs) Why wouldn't they be? So that's not right. You don't lay with another man or woman in this case. Just stop it. Um, So... So there's the lesbians downstairs. Uh, there's the penguin who has. Um, I'm going back to the old '66, but <laughs> but the penguin has um, a cat named Jezebel, which he says is a boy, which seems weird, uh-huh. um, and a uh, a bird named Mortimer that sits on his shoulder. Yeah. So uh, the penguin then. <laughs> Then asks Allison to come to a birthday party for his cat, where she meets all the other neighbors. And um, first of all, I'm not above a birthday party for a cat. Um, I think that could be a delightful enterprise. But uh, in this case, not so much because it's just a bunch of creepy people. We got the lesbians downstairs. We got the penguin, um, some old women, uh, everybody that in theory lives in the building. Um, except for the priest, of course. And Burgess Meredith doesn't seem to have a real high opinion of, of the priest at this point. We understand why later. But, uh, yeah, they, they dance and listen to music. And there's some lady saying um, black and white cat, black and white cake. And, like, Christine uh, – not Chris. I keep wanting to use the actress's name. Yeah. Uh, but Allison later repeats that. But, again, it doesn't really seem to mean anything. Yeah. And – yeah, and then of course we find out in spooky fashion that uh, <laughs> that all of these people are you know these are murderers who have died, and she had a cat birthday with ghost murderers. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, by the way, cat birthday with ghost murderers, one of the best Ramones albums. Uh, <laughs> it's real good, real good. It's like twenty-seven tracks. Yeah, that's my my my. Uh, my actually I'll have to, to argue that their their live version of that album at CGB <laughs> CGGB's is better it's so much better and the, sure. f- the one from Filson the, the Filson live album is phenomenal uh, where they do uh, Cat Birthday Murder Cat Birthday with Murderers cat, or, or Cat Birthday Murder Party it, like the, oh, the cat, oh no that's the sold yeah. sold leveled up yeah oh, uh, but yeah and it, it's this bizarre scene that you think is going to come to something, and much like a lot of stuff in this film, it just never does. Um, other than the fact that, like, that I guess we see the assemblage of of characters and think, yeah, the, there are some weird people. But it reminds me a lot of, you know, a lot of the uh, the dinner scenes and stuff from Roseberry's Baby. Yeah. And I think that's clearly what it's referencing. Definitely. But it just doesn't have the impact. Like, Rose, what, Rosemary, uh, what Rosemary's Baby does so artfully is it gives you normalcy with just a hint of weirdness. Yes. And this is just double-barrel weirdness. Yeah. The thing about that movie is as the story unfolds, things start to get, you know, 
stranger the more time we spend with the couple next door or the more conversations that she has with specialists that are kind of linked to that building. Um, by the time you get to this movie, as soon as you meet Burgess Meredith, you're like, something's a bit strange here. Why has he left a photo of himself holding roses? That's a wee bit strange. And then within the next 10, 15 minutes of meeting more people, you're like, oh, right, so everyone in this building is is a murderer or crazy or one of the two. And she's paid to live here, so maybe that's why the rent was cheap, Bo. Maybe that's why the rent was cheap. Yeah, I mean, it, and maybe there's rent control in hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it builds up, the movie builds up to this crescendo that we were talking about earlier. And this is really the reason that you want to watch The Sentinel. is when things start to unfold, um, our, our friend, is, our, our boyfriend, sorry, the, the doctor psychiatrist, um, he finds out, after doing some illegal activity himself, it's worth noting, he finds that basically behind this all is a a plot by the church to basically canonise her into service um, and and put her on on sentinel duty. And he tries to, to stop this. And he decides to do it in a rather interesting way because the, he finds out um, when he knocks away some wood downstairs in the building that there is quotes from uh, Dante's Inferno on the wall, which is never a good sign. I, I, I submit to you, Bo, if you're in a building and you, like, I don't know, move a picture and you see uh, <laughs> Dante's Inferno stuff scribbled underneath that, you run. You sell that house or burn it from a distance. I- I actually have that over my bedroom door. <laughs> Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. <laughs> you give him a wink and a nudge before you open it. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> hey, read it. Read it. Fancy a root in hell? The blind priest comes downstairs. He follows him upstairs. Tries to kill him. Now I'm going to say that either way this character's fucked because I would imagine if you kill a priest that... That's up there as one of those mortal sins. Must be. Right. But we've also learned at this point, or we haven't, we don't know this for sure yet, but Eli Wallach has said there is some suspicion mm-hmm. as to whether Chris Sarandon killed his, as Eli Wallach described it, his, you know, his drunken wife who wouldn't give him a divorce. Yes. Yes. And, and which we, of course, learn is true when we see parts of his face pulled away by a fishing line. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So, and, it's weird because this character, even though he's ultimately a murderer, seems to be acting in the best interest of Allison at this point. Yes. And and deposits his would-be wife with a friend of hers at a party saying, like, look, you've got one job. Do not let her leave. She needs to be surrounded by people. Whatever you got to do, you keep her here. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, the Allison's model friend totally fucks that up. Of course she does, because he asked her not to do something. So, of course she did it. Women, am I right, Duncan? <laughs> All they're good for is blinding, putting nun gims on and setting them at the top of buildings, Bo. Yep, yep. Uh, that's uh, so Michael Winter would have us believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, he gets stopped, though. The other priest kills him. And of course... That that sets him. This is where the logic gets a bit loosey goosey, because um, 
he didn't actually kill the priest, and the priest killed him, yet he's confined to the house as a spirit well, working for the demons, which doesn't really make sense. Oh, the the sense I make of it is so John Carradine doesn't kill him; it's the other priest who's yes. who's standing guard over John Carradine in the transitional phase, mm-hmm. and uh, the the pupae, if you will, <laughs> of the Sentinel, um, and. Chris Arandon tries to choke out uh, John Carradine, um, who I think was a little turned on by it. I don't. It, <laughs> it's hard to tell with a blind guy, but I think he was. And no, that's his, that's, that's his brother that gets off in that. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, I almost forgot. <laughs> don't condemn that. the whole family. Right. Let's not throw the baby out with the autoerotic asphyxiation bathwater. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> He's a Carradine. They're all at it. Right, right. It's it, like it's the Carradine crest. It's just a noose and a guy wanking. Um, <laughs> the Carradine crest. <laughs> and the other priest and brings Chris around. <laughs> and but all right. So the, but the sense I make of it is that after he dies, he goes to hell, and the devil, I guess. Uh, who is is trying to push some of these dudes uh, up into the building? Um, basically says like, "Hey man, you know this chick. Yeah. How about you try to get her to commit suicide? Yeah. Since you're already in hell anyway, I don't know. Maybe we'll give you some cupcakes, some hell cupcakes for doing this. <laughs> mm, cupcakes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I would. I would probably come back as a demon and try and try and seduce the one that I love to commit suicide as well for the promise of cupcakes. And I make Look, cupcakes and that, you know I mean? That's all I need. I've done it without the, the promise of cupcakes. <laughs> Just for a goof on a weekend. You should, I'll leave a lot of knives laying around and rat poison. You don't look well. How do you feel? You know, there's a way to end all that, right? Uh, <laughs> Slide the knife over. Um. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, yeah, it's it's my my full on sentinel move. Um, yeah, it's it, it. So that's my my weird logic behind that in a in a movie that dares you to find logic in it. Yeah, um, he he tries to basically tell her, "Listen, you're not well." This is what they're wanting to do. You, you don't want to do that. Just finish it. Finish it off. Just finish yourself off. Right. And she we is, can be together. Yeah, yeah, we can be together. And she's like, no, I wouldn't marry you. What makes you think I want to live in hell for eternity with you? No way. Just because I gave you cufflinks does not mean anything important. Although they came back later on and that explains why she bought my hideous cufflinks. Hideous cufflinks. Um... It, I, while we're talking hideous, let's talk about the tie Eli Wallach had on. <laughs> That's yeah. about four and a half feet across. <laughs> oh, the 70s. You were not missed. It was basically, you might as well just wore a noose, a hang, <laughs> hangman's noose. Or like, just the tie. You don't yeah. need a shirt and jacket when you're wearing a tie that big. Yeah. Okay. It's just bare skin and tie, and you're still revealing nothing. <laughs> So she decides to make a run for it and in classic horror trope fashion runs upstairs um, right to that loft. She wants to get to, to, to she wants to get to the top basically to, to kind of, I don't know, she just wants to get to the top. And that's when Burgess Meredith comes out and guess what, he's got some friends. And then the next five minutes is, this is the bit that people classes, the, the, the bit that kind of garnered the movie quite a bit of negative 
impressed was the sheer amount of people with deformities that are used in this last bit and they have everything here there there are people with kind of facial deformities um, scarification um, missing body parts um, victims yeah, yeah just the works and it's every and it is not just the camera like focuses very much so it's not just kind of peripheral shots it's like close-up shots everywhere she looks as one of these these people and um she makes her way eventually up to the top floor and they give her the knife and tell her, you know, all you have to do, it could be all over, all this suffering. You know, give me the knife. <laughs> she says, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I want the knife. I said, I, 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 I want the knife. Please. <laughs> Golden Child Forever, man. Uh, I love that movie so much. I love that I, movie. I know you do. Yes. Brother, don't uh, say. Um, you know, one, real quick, one thing I will say, though, about the criticism it got. Like, I understand that criticism where you're equating deformity with evil. Yes. You know, I, I get that. But also, I think there's something to be said. I, I think human beings have a knee-jerk reaction. Like, let me uh, tell a quick story and illustration. There was a guy that used to go to a grocery store that uh, was near a friend of mine's house. Mm-hmm. And the guy had clearly some sort of head injury and ensuing brain surgery. Yeah. So the guy would show up in this grocery store every now and again just buying groceries. The guy was doing nothing wrong, Duncan. He was just living his life. But he also happened to have a, a head where fully half of his skull was just this concave bit of flesh. Mm-hmm. And it was horrifying to look at because of what that represents. Like the destruction of the body or, or scarification or whatever. Like deformations are just knee-jerk weird to us uh, as as normal folk or relatively normal folk. Um, it doesn't make them bad people or anything like that. And I think that's where the criticism comes from is, you know, you're you're equating something that this person had no control over with with hell. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I do think there is an innate thing in human beings that if you see someone who has a deformity, there's something both fascinating and repulsive about it. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, and I don't, that doesn't necessarily make us good people. I mean, at at one time, we would have just drowned those babies. Mm -hmm. Um, And fortunately, we don't do that anymore, at least most of the time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we should. No, no, of course not. But yeah, you, it, 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 it functions the way that Todd Browning's Freaks does. Exactly. Except Freaks, I think, is a little more almost celebratory of the these different characters. And this one is very clearly saying, "Look how horrifying this thing is." Uh, this thing, a person. I'm sorry. Um, no, but, no, I, I know. I know what you mean. No, it's it, it's the, the idea of hell itself, and um, that. I think the thing is, all the characters we've seen before, who are kind of quirky, are on on for the for the for the most part are superficially normal to the eyes. You know, what I mean, they, they they appear as the quote unquote normal person would look like, um, with you know all kind of all their weird quirks aside. But this idea of when things start to ramp up, these are the you know, this is what... And I mean, on some level, that's based heavily in, in things like religion as well and um, paintings 
from certainly the Renaissance time as well of how sure. hell is depicted is depicted of, w- with people with deformities and um, the, it does it goes this movie takes a sharp turn and goes incredibly biblical at the end and not because it's you know using the plot device of something satanic because there are plenty of movies that use Satan as a device without you know hammering scripture through your forehead um, but this movie this movie certainly you know towards the end really goes full on hellfire and brimstone very Hieronymus Bosch. Yes, yes. And they give her the knife and she is tempted to do it, but she stops herself. Um, and this is when, obviously, the, the, the priests arrive. And, you know, this is where this, this line comes that you, you know, you tried to do it. So let's be honest, that means you're going to hell. But if you want, you could, you could just maybe help us out here and take over the role. And ultimately, that's what she does. And the last shot is them in a new building... Um, and a new couple are being moved in and the same woman is moving them in, you know, giving them the line and you know, your neighbours are this person, this person and you know, this one upstairs but never leaves the house and all the rest and then when we zoom up we see that she's now dressed in full nun's gear with the blanked, you know, blind eye thing going on staring out over the bay um, assumedly to be in a position where she will be there until she is replaced and the the cycle will repeat and the story goes on um, Bo, anything else you want to say about this movie before we start thinking about how we assign grades to it? Yeah, I, I guess I would say, again, th- this is a movie that functions best as partly as warning of what not to do with a bunch of subplots in your film. Sometimes it can just get a little too crowded. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of the stuff like the Eli Wallach and and Christopher Walken detective stuff is, is never fully fleshed out. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a, on one level, it's a, a big disappointment of a movie because a lot of the parts of the movie are broken and, and we haven't really said it. And I don't want to single an actor out for, single-handedly making it a harder movie to watch. <laughs> but you're gonna. But I'm going to. Uh, Christina Raines is undeniably a lovely woman. <laughs> she is also not what you would call a great actress. Not for a leading part, no. Definitely not. Right. And and it's on her to carry the film, and she just doesn't have a range of emotions from which to draw. Yeah. So everything comes out feeling like this is a rehearsal. It, it doesn't uh, help that she's surrounded by other female actors who are clearly enjoying the script more and are having a bit more fun with it. She is very... She's a bit too plain and a bit too serious throughout the entire movie. And even when she's supposed to be, quote-unquote, losing it, you never really feel like she's... You never, I never actually get the feeling that she is enjoying making this movie at all. Um, and that's a yeah. big concern because with these sort of things, with the the level of what they dump on this this movie, you need to be able to when you're surrounded by characters who are so weirdly quirky and it you know eccentric, you need to be able to rise to that and and your portrayal of when you start to go a bit mad, and she just never really sells it at all. And it is the biggest I, I think it is the biggest issue in the movie, even above things like multiple sub stories that don't go anywhere. I think. She is her anchor, she's her hook, she's the character we're supposed to be behind and rooting for throughout this movie, and I just never connect with her as a character at all. Yeah, uh, the other thing I would I would point out to listeners is 
Um, this movie also gives us a scene that is basically how I want to die. <laughs> how is that, Paul? In which uh, she discovers her father in bed with <laughs> a couple of ladies. And cake. Eating cake. <laughs> just rolling around decadently, you know, screwing and slurping down icing. Yeah. And... Yeah, that's how I want to go. That's how Bo wants to go. Yeah, <laughs> he if, heard it here first. Yeah, if, if you hear that I have passed on, ask why. And if it's just like, oh, he had a heart attack in his recliner, then you can cry. I'm kind of if, hoping that if I am still here and you have passed on, I get delivered like a, a, a Blu-ray with a recording of you on it, like in those old-fashioned movies. <laughs> old-fashioned ghost movies where you're like... Duncan, if you're seeing this, most likely I died in bed, surrounded by women and frosting. <laughs> right. And at that point, the, the first person you see shed a tear over my demise, you smack him in the face and say, he died as he lived. <laughs> <laughs> there is no regret on this video. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> what did this room smell like? It smelled like sex, frosting, and shame. <laughs> it smelled like Duncan Hines and lube. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, there's only one question he'd ask Was there any charge left in the car battery? No, it was drained dry. Then I'm a happy man. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, I'm no, happy, no. I'm a happy man. Um, and the spare was half down. <laughs> Oh god. Uh, yeah, so um in terms of like closing kind of statements for me on the movie there's a lot I do like about it. Um but they tend to be individual segments and they're fairly inconsistently dotted around the movie. Um the end of the movie's where it really really finds its identity and shines for the last like 20 to you know 15 to 20 minutes where things really ramp up in that kind of rosemary's baby sort of way which which feels great to 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 watch but for the most part there's just too there's too much going on there isn't a a real sense of you know kind of this is what our narrative is Uh, it kind of spreads itself too far it criminally has fantastic actors in who do little to nothing in this movie Um, Christopher Walken being probably uh, the biggest crime this movie can commit is having Christopher Walken in it and not giving them the opportunity to to really start to to break out with some dialogue Um, but yeah for for my grade uh, that I come in with I'd give it a 3 I do like it um, like Bo said I think the best statement you can say is if you are a horror fan you've never seen it before it's worth watching at least once um, I've seen it a few times I come back to it every couple of years and it tends to be when I kind of put it in between movies which have similar themes you know whether I'm if I'm watching Rosemary's Baby for some reason I'll watch The Sentinel as a way to remind me how great Rosemary's Baby is Um yeah, I, I think three is a fair grade coming from myself. What about yourself, Bo? Are you going higher, lower, the same? I, yeah, I gotta go a little bit lower, despite the fact that it's given me my preferred ending <laughs> for myself, my own my own mortali- mortality. <laughs> yeah, um, and the last ten to fifteen minutes are genuinely bizarre and uncanny, and it, it's something that you really should watch. Like it, it's. It is very uh, Italian. Yeah. 
You know, like the the comparison to Fulci, I think, is a good one here, even though Fulci may have just kind of the whole cloth taken some stuff from uh, the Sentinel. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's a reason that somebody like Fulci might pull from it because there's some pretty stark imagery in that. Yes. Um, so I'm going to go two and a half. Mm-hmm. I think it's without the last 10 to 15 minutes, it would be just a wasted opportunity and maybe a couple of good moments. But the the end of it is not even good. It's just something you ought to see because you're never going to see anything quite like it, except maybe the, the last few minutes of Freaks. Yeah. Yes, agreed. Agreed 100%. Ah, there we go. So that is our first movie down. That was The Sentinel from 1977. We're going to take a very short break just now. When we return after, you have listened to some promos for shows that I love and the trailer for our next movie, which is High Rise. Myself and Bo are going to discuss it. I will once again throw out, uh, and I'll do it again after this break here, we are going to be spoiling High Rise. It is just out at the moment. If you do not want it spoiled this is the point where you want to either skip on to the end of the show or find yourself a copy um, and then join us uh, for the review which is coming right after this hello hello who is this who are you trying to reach I don't know oh, I think you've got the wrong number I'm gonna hang up. Wait, don't hang up. What's that noise? Popcorn? You're making popcorn. Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn when I listen to podcasts. I'm about to listen to a podcast. Oh really? Which one? Probably the podcast on Haunted Hill. Is that the one with the two guys with the beards? Uh yeah, Dan and Gav. Dan and Gav, yeah. That podcast was scary, I liked it. Most episodes they look at two different horror movies. Each episode they look at a world of a strange, where they look at weird things from around the world. Sometimes they even do special episodes where they look at different genres or directors' discographies and talk about them. Do you have a boyfriend? Maybe. So where can I find the podcast on Haunted Hill? Well, you can go to legionpodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, or just go into iTunes and search for the podcast on Haunted Hill. So, are you going to ask me out? Ever wanted something more? Ever thought there could be a better way to live free from the shackles of the old, tired world? This development is the culmination of a lifetime's work by esteemed architect, Anthony Royal. The high-rise has 40 floors of luxury apartments filled with every modern convenience. On site, we have a fully stocked supermarket, gym facilities, swimming pool, spa, school. There is almost no reason to leave. People from all walks of life are here too. There are many opportunities to make new friends. Possibly fall in love. Welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for our second movie review. This is High Rise 
from 2016, directed by, oh, we love you, Ben. Ben Our boyfriend, our mutual boyfriend, Ben Wheatley. Ben Wheatley, um, based on the G.G. Ballard novel, um, and the screenplay was um, written up and created by Wheatley's long-term collaboration partner, Amy Jump. The movie has a ridiculous... It's another movie which is, like, cast the hilt. Um, We have Tom Hiddleston, Jeremy Irons, Sierra Miller, Luke Evans, Elizabeth Moss, Jim... James Purifoy, Keely Hawes, Peter Ferrinando, uh, I can't even speak now, Sienna Gilroy, Reese Shearsmith, he of Le- uh, League of Gentlemen fame. Oh, I love you, Reese. Um, and other folks in this movie. Loads of folks. Synopsis for this one as listed on IMDb. Nice and short. Love it. Life for the residents of a tower block begins to run out of control. Yeah. 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 All right. We're done. Of- kind of right isn't it should we rate yeah (laughs) Uh, so I was incredibly excited to see this one not only because director Ben Wheatley is one of my favourite directors around just now Uh, I genuinely like every movie he's put out and I think it's just an incredible talent that can make things unsettling and creepy with very little (laughs) he just seems to be able to to tap into a weird creepy vein of mine that I, I didn't know existed um, we have last time I spoke about Wheatley on this show actually was with Bo and we did Sightseers um, along with Stoker back on like episode 20 something I can't remember it was a long time ago anyway and we both were like yeah Wheatley's great and then in the interim on Duncan and Bo come correct we talked about a little movie called A Field in England where we were all like that yeah guess what Ben Wheatley's great and then we're going to talk about High Rise and um I've already said I love this movie. I don't know where both fall, so I'm kind of hoping that at the end we're like that. Yeah, guess what? Ben Wheatley's great, but we'll need to wait and find out. Um, so the synopsis is brief there. It doesn't really go into too much, but we have uh, Tom Hiddleston's character, Lang, moves into a new high-rise, moves somewhere in the middle of the building because he, is, he works um, as a doctor, specifically working on the brain. And so you could say he's a brain surgeon. And he um, moves into this, what is described as these new high-rise buildings that are being built that kind of resemble like a hand coming out the ground. And so each finger being represented by a high-rise block. And as soon as he moves in there, he realises that things are a bit different because these high-rises are designed to be essentially their own communities. They have their own gyms inside them. They have their own supermarket, um, all within the building. But the higher you go up in the building, the more affluent the tenant um, with the creator, the architect, Royal, played by Jeremy Irons, living on the top floor. Um, he lives in the penthouse. And through a series of events, um, we realise that this is a kind of almost like a social experiment that Jerry, Jeremy Irons is actually doing um, with these buildings and this doesn't work out because the building has teething problems and as the the natives start to become restless the class lines deepen 
um, and then Anarchy breaks out in a pretty spectacular fashion. Um, I saw this movie in its uh, Scottish debut um, as the opening movie at the Glasgow International Film Festival. Ben Wheatley was in attendance, uh, so get got to hear a bit from him. Asked him a question, well, asked him two, and he answered both. Um, and I got a T-shirt because I asked a question. A T-shirt will never fit me because it's far too skinny. Um, but uh, the experience was pretty phenomenal, and being able to hear him discuss things uh, about the movie, the making process, and all the rest was incredibly cool. Bo, you were looking forward to this one. That is needless to say. You you were very much excited about some high rise. Uh, I was looking forward to this because I do like Ben Wheatley, um, and I think high rise. Man, what to say about this movie? So, this movie is uh, very sneaky. Ooh. Uh, in that it starts off, there are hints of kind of Wheatley surrealism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it 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 begins with Tom Hiddleston roasting a dog leg over a fire. <laughs> in the previous scene. He's clapping the dog as if, you know, you're now my companion. You're now right. my only friend. And then two seconds later, he's roasting the dog leg on a spit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so bizarre. And then and then we jump to three months earlier. Like It's one of those movies that that's framed by here's how things end. Now, let's see how we got here. Yeah. And man, oh, man, Um did I think like there is almost too much movie in this movie mm-hmm. um, and and not in the Sentinel sort of way where it's like, man, they just kind of drop a bunch of stuff and it, it's they're they're packing too much into it and they're not paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Wheatley is not that kind of director. He's no Michael Winter, Duncan. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, no, no, no. This is a movie that almost feels like it would be better viewed in 30 minute chunks Mm -hmm. because there is so much packed into almost every scene that, you know, like when we were first talking, I I used a line that, that, uh, that happens fairly early on in the movie where, uh, when Lang, who is Tom Hiddleston's character, uh, meets, uh, some of his neighbors, uh, his neighbor says, I'm an orthodontist, not a homosexual. Yes. (laughs) That's Reese that's Shearsmith yes. from the League of Gentlemen, which like, yeah. when you heard it, I was just, that's classic League of Gentlemen. Yes, it's it's that kind of bizarre. Like, the whole movie is a big, surreal trip. Yeah. And, in like I said, in that way, I think it has more in common with um, a field in England than it does you know, say Kill List or, or Sightseers or something like that. Like, yeah. the, this, this movie is born from subject matter and, and uh, source material that is already highly allegorical. Mm-hmm. And Ben Wheatley does nothing to hide any of that. It's yeah. not, he's not trying to dumb this down for the masses or anything. It's just, here's this big weird thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it just, it, it's almost hard to, to penetrate in terms of discussion because there's so much happening all the time in this movie that it's tough to, you know, figure out which thread you want to start tugging at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but so, you know, Link's character, as he, as he moves through the story, he is sort of, in theory, he is the eyes of the audience, Mm -hmm. even though we see him doing something bizarre from jump. 
<laughs> so, which, you know, it like all good drama, it, it, it poses a question. It, it creates a mystery in the minds of the viewer so that we want to know, uh, hopefully, how, how we got here. And that's kind of where we are with it. We're, we're, con- we're, we're following Tom Hiddleston, uh, his character Lang, but we quickly understand that there's really not an audience surrogate in this film. Mm-hmm. You know, it is just you, you as an audience are there to observe the goings on. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it, it starts uh, w- once you get into him moving into the high rise, it feels like a bit of normalcy has returned. Yes. And that only lasts for about 15 minutes. Yeah, it doesn't last long at all. And we are dragged through this story um, into some strange... Like, the characters in this are so surreal. Like, almost every character he interacts with is just, like, a really strange caricature of of different aspects of... of uh, kind of social class um, profession uh, we we have kind of very old timey ideas uh, kind of juxtaposed with with modern thinking um, but even the modern thinking is kind of slightly off its axis um, and Tom Hiddleston like he, he is the he's almost on some level he's when he moves in he's the picture perfect tenant he makes use of the amenities in a respectful way Um kind of doesn't really want to interact with anyone, kind of really wants to kind of keep himself to himself, but will attend if his neighbour's throwing a party, he'll go to that party. Um, And we realise that... I don't know how long the building's been there, but we realise that... um, you know, people have already formed friendships and and social groups and kind of social constructs within the the high-rise. And some of the main characters we meet, Luke Evans... Is, is one of the kind of more primary characters in the movie. He plays Wilder, and Wilder is... He works in TV. He's kind of more a documentary filmmaker, but it doesn't make a lot of money off it. He's married to a very kind of homely sort of wife who is played by Elizabeth Moss. If you watch Mad Men, that's where she comes from. Um, and they've got many kids and she's pregnant, but he is a, you know... A serial adulterer, you know, he's constantly on the look for other women, very, very flirty, very over the top, quite aggressive actually, very opinionated, kind of the this idea of working class Great Britain from the the kind of seventies, kind of rough around the edges, that that sort of a you know it wouldn't to me it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be a stretch to the imagination to have this character as like a you know someone that was involved more in industry, you know, more working in like a like a plant or a factory or something like that. The fact that they made him a uh, you know, kind of documentary filmmaker kind of works, kind of kind of aids it to an extent, especially later on in the movie. Um, but we meet some other characters. James Purifoy is kind of the ringleader. Oh, he's brilliant in this movie. He's, abs- he's yeah. It took me a while to figure out he was he was the guy from the following. Following, yeah. So he's a uh, Pangborn. And he kind of leads this group of very well-to-do, upper-class 
elitists within the building uh, who must live very close to the top floor um, and he has Peter Ferdinando who plays Cosgrove people will be maybe familiar that I'd mentioned Peter Ferdinando before a couple episodes ago myself and Andy Blockley covered a movie called Tony which is this kind of indie serial killer movie from London and Peter Ferdinando played Tony in that so this is the one we were talking about back then so he's Cosgrove Cosgrove's on the TV he does the news um, so that's that's where his character lies in there's a rather obnoxious kind of handyman sort of guy played by Dan Renton Skinner he plays Simmons and they're, they're of the kind of higher group we never really find out what all the characters do for a living but they're very well off very affluent near the top um, and obviously we have Royal played by Jeremy Irons and his, his wife who live on the very the top floor of the penthouse and the, the, when we see how they live in this huge you know very very fancy kind of penthouse you go out to this kind of orchard like garden on the top floor which has animals and a horse which as soon as you see that you realise you're in Ben Wheatley territory because things get <laughs> yeah. surreal real quick um, and this is kind of how they, they, they kind of separate things out um and, and it is very difficult to get into the full workings. I think it's better to maybe hit on the, the more prominent points of the movie, which is that Jeremy Irons' character takes a liking to Lang, um, wants him kind of to, to play squash with primarily, but kind of wants to really speak to him about things. And we get the impression it's because he feels that that top social elite, which he's part of, has become quite stagnant. Um well, he says that the, the building is intended to be, um, you know, it's kind of a social experiment that he yeah. wants all of these social strata, all these people to live together in an equal way. That yes. even though the, the lower levels, you know, it's a new high rise, even the lower levels are filled with, with people who are still professionals. Yes. You know, it's not like this. these are all the pores because nobody wants them around. Mm. But you know that Jeremy Irons is you know he seems to be angling towards this progressive idea of you know everybody being equal mm -hmm. but he also lives on in this crazy penthouse yeah and just dips down to talk to Lang to and you know as we later learn has has had this affair with Charlotte who also lives on the lower floors um and that yeah that that it's it, it's that high-minded kind of arrogant intellectualism of everyone should be equal. Now let me come down from my tower to make that happen. Yeah, he even uses like in the same sentence where he's talking about this social experiment, and really where he's basically trying to stress the to what degree he believes that the upper class people have just become consumed with their own selves basically and you know have lost touch with reality he mentions Lang sleeping with Charlotte and uses the sentence she has a tight cunt and you're like like no self-respecting decent person would have a conversation with another gentleman so to speak um, and you know basically brag about he had also slept with her and you know this is on that level which kind of really shows his like on, on like you were saying on his level he may be, for all intents and purposes, trying to do something right, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's turned over a new leaf 
to make it happen. It's a social experiment carried out by someone who is is very innately entrenched with the sensibilities of the people he's surrounded with. Um, I, I find that quite fascinating. We find it very quickly as well. There's a great scene where in when he finds out when he goes to the the top floor for the first time, the penthouse, and he tries to touch the thermostat, and the thermostat comes off the wall in the penthouse, and we get this idea, it's the first indication that things are not all well in the construction of this high-rise, um, and Lang later on is invited to, he's invited to a party, but he doesn't realise that it's like something from the, the, the court of Louis the Fourteenth. Oh yeah. my God, they're all in the powdered wigs and all the rest, and he arrives obviously in a nice suit, you know, and he rises. He instantly, we recognise that he is—he's out his depth here, and everyone makes fun of him there. All the the social kind of elites. One of well, because he's wearing a suit and tie. Yeah, like you know, kind of a tux affair. Yes, and has brought this bottle of Riesling <laughs> that purchased from the fifteenth floor grocery. Yeah, and yeah, and he is just like everyone is in, as you said, powdered wigs and and hosiery. Except for him, while a an incredible classical reinterpretation of Abba's SOS plays. Oh, it's brilliant! The score for this movie is incredible. Yeah, it, and as you said, this is one of those moments of like, ah, Ben Wheatley. <laughs> you are you are just in it for some weirdness, and and sometimes I mean, there's a lot of allegory and metaphor going on, but you know, he just. Ben Ben Wheatley knows how to how to put a shot together that that's just like this is it the juxtaposition of images in this shot is glorious. Yeah, it it really is, and it's quite telling when Lang is being laughed at. He stands at the back, and the the waiter serves him his drink, and they are dressed similar, very similar, um, and these two attend the same gym on the same floor. Uh, so it's almost kind of reminding you of your stature in the grand scheme of things and the conversation between them is fantastic but we have also found out earlier on that one of the students under Lang's tutelage um, is this guy Monroe and Monroe also lives in the building and his father is disgustingly wealthy and um, Monroe speaks to Lang in a way which is quite dismissive Uh, and this irks Lang um, during one of their experiments, which is once again, we'll just he'll just show you some graphic shit. He doesn't care. Um, we see the 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 kind of dissection of a human head, um, and Monroe had fainted during this, and as such, had been sent away to make sure that he hadn't got a concussion or anything during that. Um, but when he is quite dismissive to Lang. Lang decides that he's going to get a bit of revenge. Uh, he doesn't like the cut of this young man's jib, so to speak. Nope, and, um, he's a real jerk, all right. He's a dick. Um, and Lang goes to speak to him. And you get the feeling that when, when the results come back fine, Lang goes to speak to him. And you think that Lang's maybe just going to have a bit of fun with him. But when he tries to speak to Monroe, and Monroe basically calls him by his first name and just kind of, you know, I'll be with you in a second. Lang tells him, and we don't hear what he tells him, we just know from his face that it's really bad news. I love Monroe's first word is, my, oh, my father is not going to be happy about this. <laughs> right. Not at yeah, all. The, <laughs> the dialogue in this movie um, is, it's not human dialogue. No, no, it's it, definitely it is, Yeah, it, it is definitely, and I think uh, um, 
I don't I don't know if it's repeated at the beginning as well, but towards the end of the film, there there's a, a line where Ling is uh, doing some voiceover and says, you know, I was above reason. Yes. And and that's this whole movie is that everyone is there to serve their role in playing out this m- extended metaphor. Yeah. But that can be really clunky in the wrong hands. But Ben Wheatley and and the performers make it so that the lines are just blackly comic. Yes. And not just, oh, this is a random thing this person is saying that doesn't connect to anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just the, it it reminds me a ton of Brazil, this movie does. There is a weird Brazil-like quality in the movie, for for sure. It's funny when... um when Wheatley had talked about this, he talked about the impact of, and this this gave me, like, I burst out laughing when I heard this for the first time. Um, he said that he was heavily influenced by the movie Zardoz. Uh, sure, okay. <laughs> of okay. course, of course he is. Yeah. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. <laughs> I'm surprised there wasn't a giant floating head spewing rifles out in this yeah. movie. That would have been <laughs> not crazy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you're, you're right. It is the... Everyone is serving a purpose here, which under anyone else's hands it could be, it could get quite irritating quite quick. But there is that dark vein of humour which runs right through this entire movie, and it's Wheatley. It's does that is one hundred percent Wheatley, and it comes it comes directly out. Um, Lang doesn't. We don't see what he says to him, but Munro obviously suspects the worst. Later on, kills himself by jumping off. I think it's like floor thirty two. And head dives right into a car, and one of the greatest shots in the movie actually is this idea of we see in slow motion him falling um, down towards the, the car, where once again SOS please, um, but it's an alternative version. It's like a darker, more brooding yeah. version, um, and we get this slow motion shot of him impacting with the car bonnet, which is absolutely incredible I, th- I think it's one of my favourite shots in the movie actually uh, next to one with a kaleidoscope that we'll talk about at the end um, yeah. so uh, meanwhile things have gone to shit the power has gone off the the, the, the natives are restless they believe yep, food's that food's ready in the stores yeah they believe that the upstairs are monopolising all the power and because everyone p- pays the same surcharge to live here um, they may pay different rents depending on what floor they live on but they pay the same service charge they should all be getting equal power equal rights to food and all the rest and things descend into a bit of Lord of the Flies chaos um, where people just basically start taking what they want um, and we have it, it kicks off with various different parties in the building first it's a kids party which really kind of kicks things off where the kids end up in the swimming pool where the the, the well to do are having some sort of Hawaiian themed party but everyone's wearing suits as I, I don't know the dress sense in this movie is crazy um, and Luke Evans character really kind of kicks things off Wilder and kind of infuriates the upper floor people Um and then the lines are drawn from that point and things get crazy and uh, this huge party spills out into the, the floors and people are all mixing with each other um, and then we see the after effects the following day and one of my favourite scenes of this movie is James Purifoy at first we think he's talking about how to get to grips with what's handled in this building how to bring back order and his plan is that they, they have to throw a party which I out does the party downstairs so it all becomes very 
uh, animal house. <laughs> you know, what I mean? you know we, we can't be outdone by this, so we need a checklist of things and what's going to be on that canopies, canopies, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. And this is the humour of the movie. You can't not laugh and smile when he's doing this. And We need cocktails, we need cocktails, cocktail onions. Can we get cocktail onions here? These are the necessities. Um, but meanwhile, things have gone to, to hell. Uh, and Wilder believes that it's all Royal's fault. And if he can get speak to Royal, that things will turn out better. But by this point, the groups have well and truly banded. Um, and the, the upper class people led by James Purifoy. Oh, this great scene where they're walking around in tracksuits. Carrying weapons, uh, one of them's carrying a dumbbell, and the other one's carrying a BAFTA award. Uh, Cosgrove sold his <laughs> BAFTA as a weapon, which is just fucking amazing. It's so so good. Um, the attack world, and I'm jumping over huge segments, but like Bo said, there is just so much going on in this movie. I reckon when we get to the end, we'll pick on other wee bits that we like. Um, the attack and presumably kill Wilder, but they don't. Um, meanwhile. Tom Hiddleston is just trying to survive in this building. Um, the garbage p- is piling up, as you like to call it, the garbage bowl. Uh, it's piling right. up. Um, that's what it is. Yeah, towers and towers of it. Um, people are being seriously injured. The power is going out. There's alleged rapings going on from upper class. I love that. There's a, a story of a girl who's interfered with, and they know it's someone upstairs in the higher class area because he was wearing expensive perfume and he stuffed a copy of the Financial Times in her mouth. Yes. Um, which is, you know, the, the subject matter obviously is terrifying, but at the same time, the way it's delivered is, is very funny. Um, and it keeps going along this kind of road of we don't know how bad things are really going to get uh, until Wilder finds out that Charlotte, uh, played by Sienna Miller, had had an affair with Jeremy Irons and he, in one of the darker scenes again in the movie, rapes and beats up Charlotte, who he's pined for throughout the entire movie and he attacks her um, and he then kind of goes on this rampage to get to the top, to get to Royal. Uh, meanwhile, his wife has been kidnapped and she's now upstairs with basically all the children. All the children went upstairs and a lot of women are now upstairs yeah. um, living in the, the, the penthouse. And we we kind of get this scenario of the upper class people have basically approached Lang and asked them to perform a lobotomy on Wilder to basically defuse the situation, but Lang won't do that without a full, you know, test of reason. Right. Uh, psych- well, you know, humanity. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they, they credit that to his humanity. Yeah. <laughs> and he he does that. He believes that Wilder of all the people at Great Line where he says that of all the people, I believe he's probably the most sane. He's the person that's reacting the way you should react in this sort of scenario. Um, Wilder ultimately makes it to the top floor. Um, has an altercation with Royal, shoots Royal in the stomach, um, and then is brutally attacked by all the women on the top floor, which is seen through a kaleidoscope. It's one of the most visually stunning things I've ever seen in a movie. I think it's absolutely incredible because we've got all these different women plunging knives in from different angles, done in a kaleidoscopic view, and then we get clips of other things that are happening round about. And I genuinely think it's one of the most beautifully stunning things I've ever seen in a movie. Um, I think it's absolutely incredible. And by this point, yeah. we've reached the beginning of the movie. So we're, we're now three months on. 
Lang is uh, referring to himself in the third person. Um, and he is very much happy and adjusted with his life in the high rise. Uh, he is going to start up his own practice. Um, he is going to settle down with Charlotte and wait for the other towers to go through the same meltdown um, which will ultimately result in uh, more people coming to find their way to Tower 1 and live in their perfect community where people do live together after all the violence. Uh, this perfect community is actually run by women which is juxtaposed perfectly with the end clip which is audio clip of Margaret Thatcher, the woman who ruined, sorry Baz, I know you have a hard on for the Thatcher era government, but ruined industry and brought this country to its knees um, and this idea of capitalism uh, which she sets out very much in her, her famous speech just as she's taken office and that kind of bookends the movie. Uh, there and I love this idea of you know this serene perfect environment where women will control things and things will be great and their their world is great and then you juxtapose it with the the nightmare which was to come um and yeah yeah that's that's the movie we've skated right through this movie there's so yeah. much the, the attention to like let's just say off off right off the bat the the attention to detail and the set design is dizzyingly good like yeah. everything feels yeah. even the movie feels authentic we talked about the Duke of Burgundy on a recent uh, Duncan and Bo come correct where we talked about the attention to set design was incredible that it just felt like it was the 1970s this movie feels like the 1970s it's incredible yeah I mean everything about the movie is so well considered mm -hmm. that even if you, as a viewer you think that there are things that don't quite come together like one moment or another or one storyline or another uh, because, as you said, there's just a ton going on in this movie. Um, but, yeah, you can't – the level of craft of filmmaking is undeniable. Yeah. So even if you're not into the story or, or what's going on, you can enjoy the movie in terms of – from a, a purely technical level, it's nearly flawless. Hmm. And then when you get into the characters and the story – um, you know, the, when I sat down and, uh, and was thinking about this this morning before doing the show and I was just kind of following each character in my head, uh, through the film and the, the realization that, oh, Ling is really just a non-entity, mm -hmm. you know, he has all this stuff in boxes that we never see yes. and he never unpacks. Um, he, his advice to Toby, who is the, you know, bastard child of, uh, Sienna Miller's character in The Architect, played by Jeremy Irons, um, is just just fit in, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what he's striving for, and that's why you know when he goes to the the fancy uh, French Renaissance party, um, that that's such a shock because his whole goal is just to you know fit in, like he's described as hiding in plain sight when he eventually makes the turn at the end of the film to refer to himself in the third person, he's kind of achieved his highest self, yes. which is to not be a self at all. He is this completely detached entity. Um, you know, there's, there's so much stuff throughout this film that is on the, on the surface level. It, it's, you know, a black comedy and there are things that are funny and weird and, and that sort of thing. 
Um, you know, it, it, this is the dumb thing I alluded to earlier. This movie reminds me of a movie I haven't seen, which is Snowpiercer. Yes. And Actually, funnily enough, I heard a comparison from my good friend uh, Chris, who's involved with the Midnight Horror Show, where he said... Um, He's like that. I quite like what they do with the class politics, but Snowpiercer does it better. And I know where he's coming from, but I disagree with him wholly. Um, I think Snowpiercer is a movie which basically pits people who suddenly realise that there's all these different classes within where they're trapped and then want to break free where in this movie everyone is fully aware of their position within the machine and it's not until things start to break down that things start kicking off yeah yeah i mean the you know on its on its surface the the high rise is supposed to be you know this place where everyone's equal but because you're bringing human beings who already have this fixed idea of social stratification they can't help but bring that to the high rise itself yes you know like the high rise itself you can see is kind of neutral although I don't know about that because there's this weird thing that happens in the movie where as time goes on, people leave the high rise less and less. Yeah. You know, there's never any sense that the world exists outside of this microcosm Mm -hmm. Uh, to the extent where, you know, both Wilder and Ling have forgotten where their cars are. Yeah, that's a great series. Could you give me a lift to work? I'd love to, but I can't i can't seem to remember where i parked my car and you see this like you just see the camera pull up and it's just a sea of cars yeah which go away at the end of the movie like suddenly there's no cars mm-hmm. uh except for the ones that have been trashed and abandoned and you know are potentially on fire and yeah you know like the again you have to approach this film as, as metaphor you know, because if you don't, you're just going to you're going to lose your mind trying to make sense of it. Um, but, yeah, it's the the stuff that they do with class is interesting because they seem to say that even in an ideal circumstance uh, or potentially ideal circumstance, that as soon as any sort of balance is upset in this case, it's, you know, the flickering power and, and that sort of thing, that these old grudges and these old uh, social niches that they all fill immediately come back. Yes. And, and create conflict. And yeah, I mean, there is some hilarious stuff in the film. Um, but there's also a real sense of gloom mm-hmm. about the film that, you know, just as a species, we are at, at least at this point, uh, and, and Wheatley seems to be contending that we're, even if we had that Garden of Eden, we would fuck it up. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think, um, and I think that's having never fully read the the, the Ballard novel. Uh, I've read I've read bits of it, funnily enough, but never finished it. That's certainly what Ballard is putting over as well. And it was written in a completely different time period. But it's funny how true a lot of that still reigns. And Wheatley himself said during the Q and A that there had been discussion of that. I mean, this book was notorious for the met people that had attempted to try and put this into a movie but couldn't. So 40 years it has been looked at by different directors, different names have been attached, it never went anywhere. And Wheatley said that he could never understand that because when he approached the project it was like, all right, we're doing this, we'll just do it. And the option was there to do it today, you know, like in a 2015, 2016 setting. 
but he thought what he would do is set it in a kind of parallel 1970s England. So it's just, you know, these buildings didn't exist like that back then. There was high-rise blocks, but or tower blocks, but not the way they're represented in the movie. Um, and so it's like a slightly surreal version of the 1970s. Um, but he fundamentally said, and I, I totally agree with him, that that message has never changed. You know, the idea of, especially in the UK, that idea of social status, social class, um, and, and, you know, knowing one's position and staying to it has never really left. It still is prominent and still pertinent now. Um, in 2016 as it was back in the 1970s uh, and that's that was his choice and I, I think I commend him for it I think it, it you know works incredible um, I think the cinematography in this movie is absolutely wonderful I think it's sure. shot incredibly I think it's probably his best shot movie and I love The Field in England for the way you know The Field in England even though it's you know monochrome black and white um, it's shot beautifully Um and this movie is gorgeous to look at. It's, I think, like just what so much to take in through your eyes um, and ears. Like the dialogue is so disorienting sometimes. Yeah. Because uh, you know what what Wheatley and um, uh, his wife, uh, whose name I'm Amy. forgetting, Amy Jump. Yeah. yeah. So Amy Jump and Ben Wheatley both like. You'll get lines, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the I'm I'm an orthodontist, not a homosexual of, of putting these juxtaposing ideas in the same line as if they make sense. But there's something about the rhythm of it that does make sense, which is I know it, it, it's an inelegant way to put it. But the dialogue there, there's another line uh, that I, w- I was I was looking at because I want to reference it. So let me jump back to that. But um, it's when. Uh, the architect's wife is starting to complain about you know, like they they want to get the the place cleaned up and and they need you know the help to do that mm-hmm. and uh, her line is Miss um, Hillman is refusing to clean unless I pay her what I apparently owe her like all poor people she's obsessed it's with money. money yeah yeah she doesn't and, have it <laughs> right right and and it's this highlighting of this disconnect between the upper crust of the high rise, which, you know, again, is representative of, of just the, the upper strata of any, you know, any government or any, any social, uh, system and fundamentally misunderstanding the needs of the people who don't have what they have. Yes. And being surprised and, and a little offended by them trying to intrude upon this, you know, very, very reserved life that they've created for themselves. Um, you know, I think we mentioned it earlier, but you know, the line about somebody raping someone above their station. Yeah. Uh, and that being a problem, it's not the rape. That's the problem. It's that you try to rape the wrong person. If you raped one of one of you mongrel people, that's fine. Hmm. Um, you know, of, of sealing off the pool so that they can have the, this party when uh, a children's birthday party erupts and they're horrified by it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and it's none all, of those characters have children. The only one that does is Monroe, yeah. and Monroe's child is an adult. Yeah, right, right. Um, and James Purefoy, as we've said, is so good in oh, this. He's movie. phenomenal he's, in this movie. He he is he's yeah he's he's great. His delivery of lines and what he says is just fantastic. And he is he is like the he is the overtly comical 
part of this movie just because what he's saying and I can imagine these you know people of that social class saying things like that you know where it's just the 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 penny doesn't drop they don't exactly the the to address their problem they believe that instead of fixing the building I mean he's his ultimate thing is you know we'll clean out the downstairs floors we'll get rid of these people and then the architect will redesign it and there'll be a cricket field and a country club country club sounds good um because these are the things that will fix the problem um and it, it speaks very much to the character and it is it is wonderfully weird but I think it's I think it's fantastic. I think the, the casting choice is great. I think Luke Evans plays a blinder in this as Wilder. Wilder is a, a crazy, eccentric, over-the-top, insane, angry man who feels like the world is trying to keep him down um, and doesn't really do anything to really benefit that. He's, he's a pretty terrible father. He's a pretty awful husband. Um, he leaves money for his wife at one point, tells her where it is, and then goes out and picks it up before she can get it. Um, he leaves her in. He leaves her downstairs to fend during the riots. She has to sleep with a knife and her two kids in her room. And when she comes back down, she says, "Don't leave me like that. You should be here protecting me. I don't want to be alone." He's like, "You're not alone. You've got the kids." Um, and he's not a nice character at all in this movie. That's why when the women exact her revenge on him at the end, I don't feel sorry for him, especially after what he does to Charlotte. Um, so yeah, I, right. I think, I think, and, and he seems to do that. I think for daring to try to rise above it. Yeah, well, you I, know, because she's always clean and put together, yeah, and it's, but it's the fact that he, she would never sleep with him, and he gets in his head that she will only sleep with people like Royal. Right, right, and that you know, no, you're one of us. Yeah, you know, um, and, and that's a horrific scene. He drags her into that room, and then we see the after effect which is her face is a mess and she's a beaten woman she's completely subservient to all the spirit that she has and she has a lot of spirit is gone in that character um, and she's basically become his wife that's like when you see how she's transformed from that she's very similar to the Elizabeth Mo- Elizabeth Moth character that we've we've seen earlier in the movie she acts exactly the same way so um, yeah. yeah, I mean, but you could almost do an essay on every scene in this movie. Oh yeah, and I don't. I, it's it's so like to me, this movie is. I've seen it twice now. I've got the Blu-ray in order, and I will watch it again, and I'll watch all the commentary stuff and go through piece by piece because I want to know everything about it. It's just a, it's an absolute wonder and a delight. And for on paper, this movie should not work at all. It shouldn't have the narrative right. it has. It shouldn't feel cohesive it should feel very much like the sentinel it should feel muddled because there is so much going on and this is completely working with a big budget with a-list stars i mean tom hiddleston is arguably he's going to be if he's not now he's going to be one of the biggest names in hollywood moving forward and the fact that hiddleston would play in this movie speaks a lot to him as an actor and his respect for for his craft but to get people like Jeremy Irons in this movie is, you know, he's, he's great as well. And just this really eccentric, eclectic group of actors. Um, a lot of British talent in here that I know from British TV, um, right through to British movies. Um, it's just wonderful and it works incredible for him. I, I, I genuinely think, and 
I, I kind of want to we could spend all the time and I, I kind of feel like this is the sort of movie that would benefit from a, a Duncan and Bo critical analysis somewhere down the line and maybe we should do that as part of like a right. spin off you know like a Duncan and Bo episode where we go into a lot more detail. Unfortunately, the podcast under the stairs never gives us that full opportunity to do it. Um, so I'll bring it into to kind of final statements. Anything else you want to say about the movie before we grade it? Yeah, I, uh, I would only restate that if if our discussion of this movie makes it sound impenetrable, mm-hmm. it is harder to talk about than it is to watch. Yes. Um, I, I would say if anything that we have said intrigues you, definitely seek this movie out because we're we can only give you a shadow of the quality of this film. Um, it, it really is a remarkable achievement. Um, ben Wheatley, I think, gets better. I don't know that it's my favorite of his movies, mm-hmm. just because I do love Phil England so you very much. Really <laughs> I really do. I really like that movie. Um, but I think it's, you know, at least on par. And and like you said, Duncan, I mean, it's it, it's a more well-known and, and eh, I don't want to argue talented. It's just a more well-known cast. Uh, but an excellent cast doing great work with material. It, it is the reverse of The Sentinel. The Sentinel works on paper and it is a muddled mess of a movie. This movie is a muddled mess of a movie on paper and somehow works like gangbusters. Yeah. Yeah. It is it is the anti sentinel. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree. I think it's I I I, I'll go one step further than you. This is my favourite this is my new favourite Ben Wheatley movie. I think it's as mind blown how good this movie is. Um everything about it, every choice. There is like you said, it's a damn near perfect movie. It is a damn near perfect movie. Um yeah, I, 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 yeah. But we, we may return to this someday and do a lot, a, a lot more critical analysis. Um, but it comes down to grades. Um, it's a five for me. Uh, if you hadn't already guessed, I love this movie. Um, it's up there amongst my favourite of the year thus far. Uh, what about yourself, Bo? What, what grade are you assigning this movie? Yeah, this is a five for me too. I'm kind of obsessed with it. Uh... <laughs> Because of that very thing, because there's so much to unpack in this, like every scene has little moments that inform, you know, a character or at least a stereotype of a character Mm. um, or another comment about social stratification or a comment about uh, the way that different social strata can communicate but don't. Yes. Um, You know, there's all this little stuff there. Like there's this weird thing in the movie with – when uh, Ling first goes to the uh, grocery store on the 15th floor and we see him shopping and he picks up uh, a book about learning to, to speak, speak French. French. Yeah. And so when he goes to the counter, he uh, he speaks in French to the um, the cashier who looks at him like, well, what are you talking about? And he hands her the book. And then later in the film, we, when we see her, she only speaks in French. Yeah, she's <laughs> yeah, language is completely changed. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't know what that's about, but I love it. Yeah, and I, you know, it's a thing that I just I need to continue to unpack, and and it's it's one of those movies that I feel like doesn't diminish because of introspection uh, or or inspection rather. Um, it's only going to get better the more you understand the motivations of both uh, the filmmakers and and uh, Ballard himself. But you know, on the surface, it's a very simple story of. Hey, 
you know, class warfare exists and here's a heightened example of that, Mm -hmm. but there's just so much more going on. And, and I, yeah, it's, it's amazing there. I've never seen a movie like it. And that's, that's what I, I hunt for when I watch a movie, I want something to surprise me. And this movie just kept surprising me left and right throughout the runtime. Excellent. Excellent. Right. Um, all that's left for me to say is thank you very much, Bo. Um, for joining me on this episode always a pleasure to chat to you uh, we do a show called Duncan and Bo Come Correct it is, um, it is finished it's official run of Coming Correct it is now heading to it's very final episode of the series where we pick bad movies which are kind of awesome because they're bad um, and Duncan and Bo come incorrect but like I said at the start you uh, have the, the Shodcast you have Hero Hero Ghost Show uh, plenty of things La- one last chance to plug your shows before we go yeah so all that's ava- available on legionpodcasts.com or you can go to iTunes and subscribe uh, to them individually but I hope you subscribe to all of legionpodcasts.com uh, because you can find uh, this show and you know all the stuff I do and kiss the goat and podcast on haunted hill up uh, po- the podcast on haunted hill if I could speak um, <laughs> and uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Legion Podcasts and uh, yeah and then the Facebook groups for both Legion Podcasts and uh, all the shows I do and and all that fun stuff uh, yeah yeah just come join us you know it <laughs> one is of us, uh, one of us. Yes, we we are slowly building an army with which we are finally going to storm the upper floors. That's our plan. <laughs> right, uh, I'm going to take my final break of the show. When I come back, I'm closing out this episode right after this. You're listening to the podcast under the stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs, episode number 82, where myself and my guest, Mr. Bo Ransdell, looked at The Sentinel from 1977 and High Rise from 2016. Hope you enjoyed those movie reviews and I hope you get a chance to check out High Rise real soon. That movie, oh, I love it so much. Um, there may be a degree of bias as Ben Wheatley and I do love Ben Wheatley but I genuinely think that movie is pretty fucking phenomenal so if you get a chance go and check it out and let me know on the Facebook group page what you made of it also let us know what you think of The Sentinel uh, me and Bo kind of look warm in that movie um, if you like it more let us know if you're on point with us let us know there as well um, next week we will be back with the Baz for the continuation of our look at the Halloween franchise the next part is parts 4, 5 and 6 um, and that should be quite interesting to see where that lands because Bass was wholly optimistic um, at the end of parts 1, 2 and 3. We'll see if that continues on through parts 4, 5 and 6. I'd just like to thank my guest Bo Ransdell again for coming back on the show and chatting those movies with me. It's always a pleasure to get a chance to sit down and chat with Bo. Um, check out our other show that we do together, um, Duncan and Bo Come Correct. It's about to finish season number two. I sometimes forget to mention it on this show. It's one of my favourite things that I do in podcasting. It's a bit more um, in-depth is probably the best word to use um, on our film analysis. But at the same time, we have a whole hell of a lot of fun doing it. And it it's quite a fun, funny podcast, so hopefully you get a chance to check out um, 
the the end of season two and go back through the rest of season two and possibly season one and we'll be back in a couple of months to start season three and that's where things get really serious but yeah so thanks again to Bo for coming on the show there is of course a multitude of ways to check out the podcast under the stairs you can um, listen to us on itunes if you do listen to us on itunes i would appreciate if you take two seconds to leave us some feedback over on itunes this is probably the most important way that you can support what we do on itunes um, it takes only a couple of minutes not a lot of time at all very easy very straightforward and if it was five stars for example the more of them we get the higher up the charts we get pushed the more likely that people that have never listened to the show will come across it check us out and become part of our greater horror community you can check us out on soundcloud on stitcher go across and check out our website tputzcast.com you can buy posters over there and um, we still have a, a small amount of uh, podcasts under the stairs posters designed by the fantastic horror artist graham humphreys so um, go over there and check them out they are of uh, a really high quality and a very low cost so um, if you don't have one yet yeah, treat yourself a little little bit of splurging uh, and get yourself a podcast under the stairs poster you can interact with us through social media by going across to our facebook group page and if you do that you'll be able to check out live streaming videos like we did today on this show it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast you can follow us on twitter and instagram at tputzcast baz is the admin of both i apologize if he has said anything that has offended you or is about to offend you he will most likely offend you so definitely go across and follow us over there and remember you can tweet us about anything what you're watching same with the facebook page if you're sitting down to watch a horror movie let us know post it on the page we always like to know what everyone's watching what everyone's enjoying give us movie recommendations as well that's always a lot of fun and uh, there is some big news obviously coming across in the next week or so you will find out what we're covering in our teapots summer top 10 series i'm very much looking forward to that and i'll be announcing what the theme is and then all the shows with my guests coming up shortly after it so i think that brings us to the end of the show once again thank you everyone who has supported this show has been checking it out has been reposting retweeting and getting in touch with us we love you long time um i don't think i have anything else to say this has been a pretty fucking phenomenal episode and i look forward to coming back in a week's time with the baz to do some more halloween but until then please take care of yourselves wherever you are and whatever you're doing this is duncan mcleish broadcasting live from under the stairs signing off Try to reach for you, but you've